From VT Digger, I'm Mike Dougherty. This is The Deeper Dig. This week, a militia training site in West Pawlet is terrifying its neighbors. Men from the site have harassed locals online and in person. They also appear to be stockpiling weapons and ammunition. And they've promoted symbols of far-right anti-government groups at a time when tensions over political violence are running high. But state authorities say that without evidence of criminal activity, there's no way for them to intervene. There's a video on Facebook. It's public. Anyone can see it. At first, you can just see a man sitting in the driver's seat of a sedan. The door is open, and you see him from the left. He's sitting perfectly still. Then, after a few seconds, someone off camera shouts, Stand by! Up! In a split second, the driver raises a gun and shoots it toward the front of the car, through the windshield. A second shooter in the passenger seat does the same. They're perfectly in sync. Then they both slide out of the car. As he moves, the driver holsters the first gun and reveals a military-style rifle. The two men meet by the trunk and point their weapons forward, ready to shoot. Work it through, work it through, work it through. Nice. And that's it. After 14 seconds, the video ends. There are dozens of these videos on the Facebook page for Slate Ridge, a gun range in West Paulette. You see men practicing military formations, playing out scenarios with junk cars and makeshift partitions. The description on their page reads, we provide solutions for a dynamic threat environment. One video is titled, these men are being built to end a problem. What that threat or that problem is, is unclear. For people who live near Slate Ridge, there's one video that crossed a line. That one. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a 9mm full metal jacket. The narrator is looking at a specific bullet. He's describing how it can shoot all the way through a car door, moving the camera around to show the damage. Through the car, out the other side. And stuck As he moves the camera toward the bullet hole, you see a name written in black marker on the car door. Hewlett Trucking, the name of one neighbor's trucking company. So if you think that you can hide in your car and be safe behind the door from a bullet, you're wrong. The owner of Slate Ridge, a man named Daniel Bonnier, and a supporter named Casey Cummings, were angry that the Hewlett's had spread the word about Slate Ridge to a farm where Cummings was looking for work. Slate Ridge posted the names and addresses of the farm and members of the Hewlett family, what's known online as doxing. In that post, they wrote, We must eradicate these people from allowing them to continue to cultural, ethical, and religiously cleanse an area that they feel they own and control. Banyer and Cummings declined to speak with us. But what's troubling neighbors, too, is what Slate Ridge puts out in the open. A stream of Facebook posts showing off machine guns and ammo, logos of anti-government extremist groups like the Three Percenters and the Oath Keepers, and talk about being prepared to face their enemy. Community members are wondering, what exactly is this heavily armed crew preparing for? If people want to get together and, and shoot together as a recreational activity, that's totally okay. Um, you know, it, it crosses a line when you start preparing and training for some kind of a violent event that you're going to undertake. This is Joe Young. Joe's a professor at American University who studies political violence. 
where I think it's really challenging or really complicated is, um, you know, just like when I was a kid and I liked to go in the woods and play war, um, I wasn't actually going to make war. And, you know, how do we know if these guys are just essentially doing that, going into the woods and playing war, um, you know, versus actually hatching plans and, and have actionable items that they want to undertake? Right. How do you know? You know, how do you start to, to uh, parse out those calls? Well, I mean, I think that's, a, you know, that's the, the $64 million question because, you know, we've we had this terrorism database and there's several terrorism databases that are housed by the federal government. You know, they have a no fly list and all those sorts of things. And these databases, depending on which one we're talking about, can have millions of names on them. And your name can be on there for good reasons. It can be on there for not such good reasons. But of those millions of people, that's a bunch of noise that we're getting. And there are a few of those people that are going to be violent. So how do we take that millions of people and then boil it down to the couple that will actually do it? The, to be 100% honest, we're not good at that. And and maybe because a lot of it is is hard to predict. Um, and it's really hard to, you know, this is why I study human beings. They're the most fascinating, difficult things to understand and predict. Um, <laughs> but, you know, it, and partially this is because you can say violent things and never actually do something violent. And on, on the flip side of that, you might not have no, you might have zero social media presence. You may never threaten anybody and do something violent. Right. And so you can never be a hundred percent certain that I, that I can guarantee we can never have a hundred percent predictive model. That's going to say, these guys are going to be violent. These guys aren't. And the problem with that is even let's say if we're 90% accurate, we're going to have 10% mistakes. And those mistakes are real lives, and those mistakes are people dying. It's unclear what's being done to address the concerns about Slate Ridge. Federal authorities appear to be involved. The FBI wouldn't confirm or deny the existence of an investigation, but a leaked memo from earlier this year from the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms refers to an ongoing investigation into Bonnier. Here in Vermont, authorities have said they've shared information with the feds, but they say they don't have evidence that would allow them to take legal action. Here's Governor Phil Scott. Um, we're very much aware of the situation. We're monitoring the situation. Um, but if it doesn't rise to the, the uh, level of a criminal offense, uh, what would you suppose we should do? At a press conference on October 30th, a reporter, Ann Wallace Allen, asked the governor whether he would encourage prosecutors to use the state's so-called red flag law to intervene. This is a relatively new law, passed in 2018, that would allow a judge to call for Daniel Bonnier's weapons to be confiscated. Do you think this is an appropriate case for prosecutors to file an extreme risk protection order to remove firearms from the situation? I think I think it's up to the prosecutors, and I'll leave it to our commissioner to maybe answer that. But uh, but obviously up to the the state's attorney um, to determine that. And brought up the case of Jack Sawyer, an 18-year-old from Fairhaven, who had allegedly been plotting to shoot up his high school in 2018. Scott pushed back on the comparison. The reason I'm asking is because you did push for charges against Jack Sawyer um, back in 2018. He was yeah, I, that w- I, I don't know. If, yeah, I think, as you might recall in the affidavit, um, there was an explicit plan in place to do harm to the school and the, and the members, the students in the school. It wasn't a question of if, it was a question of which day. And uh, he had a hit list. I'm, I'm not, uh, I guess, to, to compare the two, I'm, I'm not sure is fair or accurate. 
if you have and if you have if you have information um, to the magnitude that we saw with Jack Sawyer uh, you should present it to us about this about this case apparently in response a post went up hours later on the Slate Ridge Facebook page stating thank you Governor Scott for standing up for Slate Ridge the governor's office was forced to clarify that they do not support Slate Ridge I asked Joe about all this when you have these kind of signals that are out there, but nothing else, what is the role of governments in trying to deal with these potential issues? Well, there's not much local law enforcement can do except respond if something violent occurs. And so, you know, expecting the local sheriff or, or local police departments to do something is is tough. They just don't have the resources. They don't have the capabilities. But this is the role kind of a more federal law enforcement and the FBI has infiltrated a lot of groups, both on the far right, the far left, as well as um, jihadi groups. And so, you know, if I were a local police department and I had some basic intelligence that said things like this, I would be reaching out to the FBI for for help to infiltrate the group. Because I think the, you know, whether we're talking about, and I, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Earth Liberation Front or, yeah, the like the far left groups right around 9-11, they were infiltrated by by the FBI. There's arguments about whether that was needed or whatever. Regardless of those arguments, it was highly successful. Mm-hmm. And you know, we, we've seen other sorts of similar um, that happened to the in the Aryan nations and the far right as well. Uh, you know, FBI can can pull off those kinds of operations. I guess what I'm getting at is earlier you described how parsing out these signals and, and figuring out which percentage of them would actually lead to a real threat that we're kind of bad at that. And I wonder, how do we get better at it? I mean, it, it's a great question. And I mean, one of the things that I've argued that we need to do is is we need to have more information about these groups. And one of the things that the federal government really tries to do to us researchers is not let us talk to terrorists and not let us talk, go to prisons and talk to these folks. And, you know, having more access and more information about what they want to do and their behaviors that's going to be super helpful in interdicting and, and stopping these kinds of plots. So I think from a larger perspective, I mean, there are more people that are monitoring their public communication and monitoring social media. And there's a professor at Elon University in North Carolina, and she's a computer scientist, and she collects a whole lot of big data on the far right groups and um, does a lot of big data analyses on these things. I, I think those are profitable, but those aren't going to be, like I said, 100% predictive. But I think if we had a lot more big data like that, we had a lot more inside information about what these people want through informants and sources, plus, you know, having more academics talking to people like this, so we can, and not just academics, but law enforcement, I think we'll get a better picture of what's happening. But but I am also humble enough to know that we'll, we'll never get this 100% right in the same way we've never gotten crime 100% right. And I, I actually maybe don't even want us to be 100% right because as you get more and more right, you probably ensnare people that are innocent. Do guns play a role here? Well, one way that relates to broader trends within American society is, you know, gun ownership per capita is going down. Less and less people are owning guns, but there are more guns. Right. Hmm. And so the people that own guns own a lot of guns. Um, And speaking with I have lots of rural family, they have tons and tons of guns. Part of that is, you know, what you're describing for this group situation. That's consistent with, I think, a lot of folks living in rural areas. 
which again is not uncommon and not there's nothing wrong or illegal about doing that you know and and as someone who's a supporter of the second amendment i don't necessarily have a problem with that but you know it's when you couple that with threats that it makes you a little more nervous but you know we've had we've had guns and access to guns for a long period of time so that's not really changing that's not the variable that's that's changing i guess what is then well i mean one thing we know about these groups and like we were talking about in the 1990s we saw a big resurgence or you know a big spike of in events around ruby ridge and um, waco and partially what we know in the literature is that far right violence tends to spike when we have sort of more left wing movements in the government also during time periods of economic recession we tend to see right-wing violence increase and we, we're, we're kind of seeing both of those things so that makes sense that we might see groups like this develop now they had guns then we have guns now so that piece of it is not really different and their access is pretty much to the same kinds of materials but some of the factors that made um, far-right violence really prominent in the early 90s seem to be coming to to the fore right now as well This concern in West Pawlet comes at a time when tensions are high across the country. Anti-government groups have been on the rise for years, and many have called for action related to the current election, egged on by President Donald Trump. Bad things. And are I you- am urging, I am urging my people, I hope it's going to be a fair election. If it's a fair You're election, I am 100% on board. But if I see tens of thousands of ballots being manipulated... I can't go along with that. And I'll tell and what, you what, what from mean, a common sense, I'll you're tell, tell you what it means. To take to it the means screen. you have a fraudulent election. You said you To someone like Joe, this is all part of a major shift in who's considered a threat in our country. The U.S. traditionally in modern times has been the beacon of democracy in the world. And a lot of times there's been almost something, uh, holy sounds strong, but I'm going to say holy, holy about our electoral process where in other places it's quite common to get spikes in violence around election time and it's not that unusual or that weird. But since for a pretty long time we've had nonviolent political participation around elections, I think there's a lot of concern, there was a lot of concern, especially weeks ago, that this was going to be particularly unusual. I think right now there's more of an interest in it as we're talking 2020 because we've been getting, you know, the, the sort of the threat of jihadi terrorism or Islamic terrorism, whatever we want to call it, has really waned and especially in the U.S. So far right violence is sort of the, the most pressing homeland security concern. So I think that's that's part of the reason. I feel like I should ask you, I mean, I'm talking to you on the third day of the kind of aftermath of this very confusing and uh, slowly being counted election, that I know some of these groups have kind of signaled that there would be intimidation or violence related to the election. Do you have any predictions for what might happen over the next few weeks? I mean, what does this landscape look like in the immediate future? Well, first of all, I was grateful that there really was no violence around the election. I was just grateful to, you know, the American people that everybody voted and we did it in a nonviolent way and there wasn't intimidation. And every kind of story that I read that suggested it was pretty non-credible. It's it's hard to know what the correct information and what the right information is, but from everything I understand, it was quite peaceful, which I'm grateful for. Now, moving forward, as things remain tense and contested and what have you, I, I still think we're going to stick to this nonviolent pathway because even, even the Trump campaign has decided to take their grievances to the courts, which I don't think they're going to be very successful at. 
um, which in the short term is good because they're using institutional channels. When it's all said and done, if that, in fact, Trump loses, I think there may be some violence around the far right that feel frustrated that their person was, you know, in their mind, potentially robbed or, um, you know, there was fraud of some kind. But I don't think it's broad based. There have been plenty of signals from other mainstream political actors that we're going to respect the election results and, you know, we're going to do this in, in an organized and nonviolent way. So I'm hopeful. I'm actually quite hopeful that over the next couple of weeks, however it all shakes out, um, that it will remain nonviolent. If that is true in the short term, and I think everybody hopes that it is, what about more long term? I mean, where do you see these trends of, of these groups kind of going over the next few years? Well, I think let, let's assume for a moment, and we don't know this for sure, but let's assume for a moment that they lose the presidency, that the right loses the presidency, and that um, we get a sort of more left, left-wing left president. I think we'll see a, some events like we saw in the 1990s, where we'll see a little, maybe, maybe some more spectacular right-wing violence. Th- that's the bad news, I think. But the good news is probably it's not going to be sustained. And there's a lot of discussions among the far right on this, and a lot of folks feel comfortable with using more institutional participation because a lot of the things that they wanted, they've gotten. And so, you know, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Army of God, but they were a loosely connected organization in the 80s and 90s that went out and killed abortion doctors and blew up abortion clinics to try and stop legalized abortion. They pretty much ceased their activities because they've been pretty successful. Hmm. It's really hard to get legalized abortions, definitely in the South of the U.S., but even in places like Maryland. And so, they've essentially achieved the things they need to do and their violence has kind of gone away. And so I, I think there's a substantial portion of the of the extreme right that will be frustrated with having a left-wing president but aren't, aren't going to necessarily go straight to violence. I don't think we're going to see events like we saw on 9-11 and I don't think it's going to be as sustained or as you know horribly destructive. I think it's a threat that our, our law enforcement should take seriously, and I think it's a should be a priority for our, our homeland security, but I also would want to caution folks. One of the things that we tend to do as a country is we get too excited about things instead of prioritizing threats and seeing them in context to each other. And we've got, we've got, I think, pretty big fish to fry right now with the global pandemic and race issues and all sorts of other things. And I, I think this is an important issue, but it should be seen in context with these other sorts of massive issues we're dealing with. Well, Joe, I really appreciate your expertise on this. Thanks for taking the time to chat. Thank you. You can read VT Digger's full investigation into Slate Ridge at vtdigger.org. You're listening to The Deeper Dig, a weekly podcast from the VT Digger newsroom. Search for it and subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts, and you'll get new episodes as soon as they land. We use music this week by Blue Dot Sessions and Chad Crouch. We'll be back next week with more stories from the Digger newsroom. See you then. <laughs>